0: It's a very good afternoon, Niall Boyle, with you in the next half hour or so. Uh, just a special show today, a special interview. I'll be speaking to Ben Scallon, journalist and political columnist with Grip Media, who'll be joining me. And the reason we're talking about it is because Elon Musk has warned that Ireland's hate speech proposals would, be, uh, would put Irish people at the mercy of politicians and bureaucrats who would define speech that they don't like as hate speech and pledged to fund the Irish legal challenges against the legislation. Now, by the way, we haven't heard very much about the legislation. After, of course, the riots four or five weeks before Christmas, we were promised it would be rushed through within the next couple of weeks. That was a kind of knee-jerk reaction, as usual, by the government and Leo Varadkar and Helen McEntee. But then all of a sudden, it kind of vanished again. And I have a funny feeling it's just being kicked down the road. And maybe till after the election, because the government are extremely worried about the reaction they're getting to this hate speech bill, not just here in Ireland, but worldwide. Well, to, jo- to talk to me a little bit more about that interview and also Elon Musk and indeed the Hay Speech Bill is uh, Ben Scallon. Ben, good afternoon to you. Great to be here, Nile, as always. Uh, ben, first of all, I suppose what I want to say is well done on the interview, by the way. I mean, really, for every journalist out there to interview the richest man in the world and probably one of the most powerful people in the world, realistically, when you think of the power of social media, um, certainly is some feature. How did that actually come about? Are you his mates or something?
1: <laughs> well, well, I'm very appreciative for uh, Mr. Musk taking the time to to discuss the issue. Several months ago, uh, in late last year, I had written a piece in Michael Schellenberger's publication, Public, and uh, that went out and Elon Musk reacted to it, commenting on it. So I asked him then, hey, would you be open to an interview? And publicly, he said, okay. And then he had private messaged me shortly after that. So since then we had been texting back and forth trying to organize something and uh, it kept falling through for various reasons and obviously schedules are hectic but finally it all managed to come together and so that that was the end product on uh, on tuesday there and so it was very and, and, yeah, uh, illuminating was- i think
0: Absolutely. As a, as a journalist, of course, that was a good moment for you too, which I, I'm sure, by the way, like many of us out there who pretend that we're not concerned about these things or nervous, I'm sure it was a worrying moment as well to get the right questions, to get the right answers, of course. But of course, the main thing that came across in the interview, and for people who want to see the interview, by the way, it's all available on GRIP Media if you go to the website. But the main thing in the interview was this idea that you talked to him about the hate speech bill, which he also then volunteered to pay for any legal challenges. Now, remembering, of course, that Elon Musk has more money than the Irish government, this certainly has rattled the cages of government parties.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of radio silence from the government on on that pledge in particular, because what, what I said to Musk in the interview, as you know, is that the Taoiseach had previously said he was just showboating when he said that he was going to challenge the Irish hate speech bill in court if it, came to, if it became law. And uh, the Taoiseach said, oh, he's just showboating. He need to have standing to do that. And just personally speaking, I, I feel like it's probably not the best strategy to taunt a man who has effectively limitless resources. But anyway, that's not that's not for me to say. Uh, so I, I put the question to Musk just to see what his reaction would be, and he said that uh, you know he would have standing because his company X has its headquarters in Dublin. So that's the first thing, and then second of all. Uh, even if they they didn't have that, he would be willing to fund Irish citizens who are launching a challenge. So either way, he would have a, a strong position to potentially challenge this thing legally.
0: <clears throat> he, he's quite passionate about the hate speech, Bill, uh, obviously because his main business, well, with the exception of Tesla and, and SpaceX, his main business is speech and free speech and freedom of expression because that's what he relies on. But he's also, I suppose, challenged the Irish government. And we'll also talk about, you know, in a few minutes, we'll talk about the Digital Services Bill and the EU Treaty. He's also challenged all of that as well. He doesn't want to be controlled by anybody, does he?
1: No, I mean, well, who does? I think that when it comes to things like the Digital Services Act at the European level, which uh, tries to stifle hate speech, so-called, again, as as we've said many times before, I know it's it's almost... Done to death at this point but it always has to be pointed out hate speech means whatever the ruling establishment wants it to mean it's a totally vague and ambiguous term the same is true of so-called misinformation disinformation all of these phrases are contained within a piece of legislation like the european union's digital services act and then it's coming at the domestic level in ireland too and of course this is a direct threat a to musk's business because he is putting forward a platform like x as this free speech utopia that that he, he wants to create for the internet but apart from that just on a civil liberties level it, he he recognizes i think the uh the danger that that poses and so naturally enough he's going to do whatever he can to try and uh, nullify that
0: my, my fear is and i kind of predicted this going back about six months ago uh, when we talked about the hate speech bill first my fear is is that not only will they push the hate speech bill through eventually at some point, although they have been quite silent about it over the last month or so, um, I do believe that maybe they may leave it till after the summer now. They may push it down the road a little bit further because they do know that there is a reaction to it and it's not a good reaction. And they don't want anything negative before an election. That's the last thing they need before an election. But um, the point I was making is, is, I feel that Twitter may eventually get banned in Ireland. I, that's... I just have a sense of the atmosphere in this country in relation to this particular government and where we're going. And even within the halls uh, of Leinster House, there are politicians who completely disagree with the government on all of this, but they won't open their mouth. And that was very obvious, by the way, when and I know uh, Grip covered the story of the Digital Services Act, the Digital Service Bill, when not one TD that was even present, and there wasn't that many of them there, made an opposition apart from Louise O'Reilly from Sinn Féin who wanted an amendment. But the amendment was basically to tell us that she would like you know, someone in an NGO or something to be the person who looks over every complaint. So that wasn't really an amendment. That was actually worse. She wanted somebody with a narrative, essentially. So, I mean, I feared that Twitter and other free speech platforms, although Twitter probably would be the main one, won't be here with us anymore this time next year?
1: Well, I think that the hate speech bill is in serious trouble for the simple fact that, as as you point out, they won't want to try and pass it ahead of an election. So we've got the elections, the Europeans and the locals, coming up in June. And so if they were going to try and ram it through any time close to that, then that would probably elicit a big backlash against them electorally. So they don't want to do that. And then you remember that the next general election has to happen by spring, potentially, in uh, uh, early Most likely before the end of the the year, maybe. Possibly, but it, it, it can happen at the latest if they really wanted to push it back around spring next year so if they were to try and pass it after the europeans and the locals then they would potentially be screwing themselves for the generals which would be even worse so i feel like if they wanted to pass it uh the opportunity may have potentially evaporated in front of them where they they can't really do it at any time where it's going to be safe uh, and not going to cause a massive electoral blowout for them in one election or another so it may potentially be uh, dead in the water already
0: I mean, he talked about a lot of other things too. I, I was a little bit confused by his answer when you asked him, you know, about the X-Files or indeed the Twitter files as we, as they were originally known, the Irish Twitter files. Now we all know, and I think even Elon Musk recognizes and said actually with 100% surety, um, that there was interference in Twitter or certainly suggestions maybe of interference in Twitter, maybe during COVID, at other times during referendums, maybe of, you know, sites, or should I say, uh, people who would have been suspended or ghost banned or whatever they do on Twitter. So we know that probably happened. There was words had. Uh, there was obvious, actually, there was public proof of that with people in government actually tweeting, saying, you know, uh, don't worry, I've got friends in Twitter. I'll sort that out for you. So we know that was happening in this country, similar to where America, but he seemed to kind of, push past that by suggesting, well, you know, X, we're looking forward to the future and not the past. And and he also pointed out, of course, that unlike America, we don't have the First Amendment. So, you know, even if they did do it, it may not be illegal. So which suggests to me that he's not going to do that. Did you get that that sense?
1: I mean, he agreed. He, he, on print, he, he said first, yes, I, I would be open to that, but... And then he proceeded to say that, you know, as as you say, he didn't want to go keep going back to the past and that he wanted to look into the future rather than delving into old Twitter. And I do understand that instinct. But from my perspective, I think when you have a government which is attempting to seize legislation which and, and powers to itself, which would have a seriously stifling impact on people's ability to speak their mind, it is worth looking at their track record of how they have used different powers previously in other situations to get a better picture of what we could potentially be facing in the future. So when it comes to COVID-19, for example, I want to know if the Irish government was colluding or collaborating with the social media companies to censor people during that time, as many oh, you know people they suspect... Did.
0: We, well, look, I mean, we, the evidence is there, for example, that Stephen Donnelly was paying Kinsen, um, you know, a substantial amount of money every month to do a report on those people like maybe you and certainly me. I was given a mention. Of it. Uh, we know they were doing that. So they weren't doing that for no reason. I mean, you know, they, they weren't just doing that so they could know who was doing it. They were doing it for obvious reasons. Uh, and during that particular time and even to now, I know for a fact that I'm blacklisted by most politicians. Because we don't even get replies anymore. Even on the radio show, when we send out a request, you know, for a politician to come on the air, they don't even reply. The latest one was Roderick Gorman. We sent her a request, you know, with a particular day, no, not available. Um, any day next week, no, not available. Well, then, any time that suits you, not available. So that that's what we get all the time. And that started from COVID. Because I remember Stephen Donnelly, before COVID-19, I couldn't get him off the air. You know, he was determined to be on the show all the time. He was on numerous times. As soon as he became Minister of health during COVID, I never saw him again. That was the end of it. You know, so, I mean, realistically, I believe that they were definitely trying to silence people. But I think it's important, like you, I believe it's important that we know who they are. Now, of course, the the interview itself was an amazing interview. It got a lot of coverage uh, in most of the press. With the exception of uh, one particular outlet or online outlet who just will not mention Grip Media at any stage, but were you a bit disappointed that in most of the coverage that they they got they put out and they all cover the story, every one of them—the Examiner, the Mirror, the Times—that the, I mean, the Times referred to Grip Media as "Hold on, a small right-leaning website." Did you see that? Did you see that one? I did see that. That was funny. Yeah, it's all quite negative. I, said, I
1: believe I believe that particular writer said something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think he said something along the lines of, um, oh, the only reason Gripped got that interview was because they asked for it, as if he was basically well, implying, sure, <laughs> I could have done that too. I just, I wasn't arsed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure.
0: Yeah, nobody else got it. Uh, the other thing was, I, I, if I do something on the radio and, and we throw out a press release on it, right, or whatever it is, the the newspaper will always say, you know, John was talking to Niall Boylan on Classic Hits or Niall Boylan on his podcast or whatever. Nobody mentioned you, Ben. That was intentional. It was like, what is the smallest thing we can say about grip media? Why is there this from the mainstream media? Like, I mean, Gripped, I'm sure, have covered stories that The Examiner or Times or other papers have covered, uh, maybe in a negative slant, but also maybe in a positive slant as well. I cover stories from other newspapers. I'll retweet other newspapers like The Irish Independent every now and again. There are certain ones I won't. But in saying that, why do you think they were so... It just seemed to be almost like jealousy.
1: Uh, I I don't know if it's jealousy or anything like that. I I think, to be honest, Gripped represents a big... Uh, basically, a threat to the existing media order in the sense that the, we're we're coming at things with a very new approach. I mean, in in some ways it's not new; in some ways it's very old. What we're doing actually challenging politicians, for example, asking hard questions that used to be very bog standard and typical of any media outlet. It's not anymore, so we're bringing it back, and it's it's uh, it's it's a kind of a different approach than what we've seen in the last couple of decades and so we're having enormous success with that and so i think they've probably made a calculation that if these guys are going from strength to strength which we clearly are why would we give them any more promotion when we're effectively competing with them you know we don't want to try and help out the guys who are already clearly on the rise i mean somebody pointed out that uh there was one of the mainstream publications on the same day we did the Musk interview, uh, they had announced that they were laying off a large part of their workforce. You know, So that kind of tells you it's almost like a seesaw effect whereas we're going up, they're going down and so they don't want to help accelerate that any more than they have to. So they'll give us the 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 very small amount of
0: credit they have to just to yeah to, it's to it's, a, it's really like it. almost in, in most of the publications that I've seen it was almost like an inconvenience to have to mention grip at any stage. Whereas normally when you have an article written, you know about something that happened or an interview by by a journalist, even throughout the article you'll get you know you get lines like you know Ben Ass, Musk whatever or you know. But there was none of that. It was kind of minimal. It gives them as little credit as possible for this interview. Anyway, moving on from that as well. Um, Of course, that brings us into, you know, you were talking to the Electoral Commission yesterday. Now, the referendum um, is going to be a complicated one because I don't believe the general public are as informed as they should be. And we've got a huge problem because the media are meant to be impartial when it comes to a referendum um and i don't know why the government are not impartial by the way if if they're demanding we're impartial um you know they should be impartial so radio stations who are governed by commissioner Mon um have to be impartial and that includes rte RTE news last night ran their first advertisement for the referendum an informative little piece let me just play it for you here can you imagine a time when irish family meant a woman having to give up her job to stay at home and mind the children and other domestic chores while the husband or father went out to work. Things are far from perfect now, but times have changed. Now, doesn't that sound attractive? The government wants to change the constitution to reflect these changes and will put two questions to voters in twin referendums to take place on March the 8th. Now, the constitution doesn't think, say that a woman's that place you can, you is within the home. Okay. I don't need to go on the rest. The rest just tells you then about the changes that are in the article, right? But that's how it starts. In other words, what they're essentially saying is the Constitution is outdated and needs to be changed. That's not the way you present a referendum. So what they're essentially saying is you need to change this because look how old it is and look at the women washing and cooking and doing all sorts of things that they shouldn't shouldn't be doing and we live in a much better world now. Not perfect, but we live in a much better world. That's completely, that's not impartial. And then they went on to show like a ten minute piece, um, you know, with the National Women's Council having tea and drinks in some place, probably paid for by taxpayers, of course, because all funded by the NGOs. And then they they gave like thirty seconds to a group of protesters standing outside the doll with tape in their mouths, which didn't look, uh, I'll be honest, which are very attractive at the time. But anyway, it, they're just not impartial. So how are they allowed to? If the electoral commissioner, so um, and they they they. they clearly stated that they were going to be watching all of this, you know, for impartiality and disinformation. And yet, Orteir, straight off the bat, the first day,
1: yeah it seems it seems like i mean i'm sure if we had an rt executive here they would say oh well sure at no point there did we say how people should vote or that they should vote for this position or that position you don't have to when you see that the, (laughs) the, the innuendo is very clear it's obviously i i mean in fact in general not even just relating to this specific issue but when it comes to the way irish media covers stories in general I have a big problem with the fact that many of the, the broadcasts that are state broadcaster will do, they'll be having a debate. Let's say they have a couple of people on to discuss a contentious issue. Before the debate is played, they'll play a little kind of uh, pre-recorded, um, like almost like a, a five-minute documentary about the issue, which is totally one-sided and completely skews the the the. the tone of the conversation in one direction and then they initiate the debate so it's almost like let me pontificate for five minutes or ten minutes about why my position is right and now that i have totally poisoned the well and given the 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 audience a certain impression about how they should feel about this issue now that's the climate in which we're going to have this discussion you know as opposed to just launching into the debate and letting the chips fall where they may so i think media pulls these kinds of dirty tricks Quite a bit well, well, and uh... that
0: that particular advertisement is clearly deception because there is no woman in this country who's forced to stay in the kitchen and wash the clothes and cook the dinner. Those days are gone. The constitution doesn't say that anywhere that a woman has to wash the dishes, do all the dirty take out the dirty laundry and make the dinners. Those days are absolutely gone and that's not covered in the Constitution. So I believe it's deceptive and I hope people complain to RTE about it. But you spoke to the Electoral Commission and one of the main things actually you spoke about, of course, was, you know, being registered to vote because there is a confusion around that. But to be honest with you, after I listened to the three answers they gave you and they spoke, they replied to you at length. But I listened to the three answers, the three different people. I was actually more confused coming away from the answer. Because at one stage, at the very start, you were told, oh, no, you know, more or less, that's just some sort of myth. That's nonsense, Ben. And then I don't know who the guy at the end was, but he came in and said, oh, well, yes, there may be an issue because we're trying to reestablish a new database and centralize it. And, and yeah, you may be missing from it, so you might have to re-register. So what actually is going on?
1: Yeah, I am trying to get to the bottom of that myself, because to be honest, when I asked that question, I didn't even think there was anything to it personally. I had heard people saying, oh, I don't think I'm on the electoral register. And I assumed you're probably just misreading the website or it's probably just a little bit confusing, but I'm sure there's no problem. And so I was asking on behalf of people really just to clarify. I assumed they would come back to me with a perfectly cogent answer and say, oh, yeah, no, that's a misunderstanding. It's just this. And the whole thing will be cleared up. That was that was what I expected. Yeah. But as you say, it was, and it ended up being this really convoluted thing. I mean, what one of, one of their guys said, I believe his name is Tim Carey, who I think is their the head of their uh, electoral operations. He said something along the lines of, "If you put it, if you have a different variation of your name, so if he's down as Tim, but he put in Timothy." that he wouldn't come up so some people could be running into that as a problem but you might be be registered
0: as your maiden name if you're a woman rather than your marriage name or something like that or you've changed exactly yeah or (laughs)
1: i could be ben or benjamin or you know that kind of thing so possibly that's that's an issue that i can understand that that might make sense but uh yeah overall i don't think it was very clear and then afterwards when i was following the the reaction to the video, lots of people were saying, because they had said, if you're in any doubt, contact your local authority. <laughs> Loads of people were saying that their local authority's website was down, so they couldn't even do that. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a little bit uh, disconcerting, to be honest, because I, I went into it with no particular suspicions. And I'm, I'm still not, I'm not suspicious. I'm not saying anything dodgy is foot necessarily, but it looks sloppy more than anything.
0: Yeah. And, and they also mentioned, uh, I watched on the news, they mentioned that they will not have the bill together in relation to disinformation uh, before this referendum. They were hoping to have it in uh, before this. This is, I suppose, the, the, as I call them, the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> they won't be available because they don't have their shit together yet uh, before this referendum. So, um, but then again, the government are the worst purveyors of disinformation in this country. We, we've seen that more recently. Um so I don't think they're, they're going to be monitoring us too much during this referendum, are they?
1: Well, I, I was pretty alarmed that they said these booklets that they have, um, they, they gave all the journalists a copy of this booklet explaining what the referendum is about and the potential legal implications of each side and so on. And it was a fairly uncontroversial book. It, you know, I had a flick through it and I didn't see anything that jumped out at me as strange And it was just to help voters make up their minds. But I think, if I recall correctly, they said it's going to be going out on the 1st of March, that that's when actually homes around the country will start to receive it. And that was for logistical reasons where it had to go to the printers and they had to get it. And there's like 2.8 or 2.3 million homes in the country or something like that. So getting it to everybody was going to be a big rigmarole. But I was thinking that's literally less than a week ahead of the referendum itself. So you're going to give me a week to make an informed decision i mean people pe- i mean some people probably don't even need the booklet they can just intuit yeah, they know do and yeah. uh, do their own research but there are people and there's nothing wrong with this if you you know everybody has busy lives there are people who haven't had time to think about it who don't really understand the issues by no fault of their own who will benefit from a booklet like this and then they're given almost no time to actually think it through so it just mm. seems like a really last minute rushed uh, in, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say incompetent that's a bit harsh but it, it just doesn't seem to be very well organised
0: I did see as well the Irish Independent they are running with a line in relation, I don't know what it was at that press conference or there was a separate press conference in relation to the referendum but when one of the speakers was asked she, she described a durable relationship as a couple you might send a Christmas card to and <laughs> going that's a bizarre answer she said you know like a couple that you might send a Christmas card to <laughs> so yes. now now we're recognizing a relationship in law, you know, once they get a Christmas card.
1: Yeah, she, she said that there's there's a few subjective indicators of what might constitute a durable relationship. And she said that if, if, for example, as you say, uh, uh, there's a couple and they receive Christmas cards together. If, if you get invited to weddings together as a unit, that yeah. means that. You you both and the people in your life clearly recognize you as an item in the right, okay.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't know how uh ironclad I would take that. I mean, um I've I've gone to events in the past with girls I would have dated years ago before my wife. That doesn't mean that that was a durable relationship evidently because i'm not with those girls yeah. so i'm with my, I'm with my, my current wife so it doesn't really by the way i said the current wife there i only have one wife i, I just would like to make that clear <laughs> that was a,
0: I, I miss both.
1: but um
0: one wife yeah so
1: it seems like a very vague and sloppy way of uh of of uh, yeah. identifying the whole idea
0: one wife and a family very busy with a new baby, by the way. Can I point out for those who didn't know? And I'm sure life has changed substantially since before Christmas, Ben. I can see the bags are starting to appear under the eyes from the lack of sleep. Yes. How's, the, how's the baby, by the way? Everything well? Sleeping well? Everything going well? Oh, uh,
1: He gets cuter every day. Every, each stage, you know, the way they, they, they have a new face every week almost because they're developing <laughs> yeah. so quickly. And each stage we keep saying, oh, he's absolutely perfect. We hope he doesn't change at all. And then the next week he's even cuter again, and we go, no, 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 this is the one. He can't get better than this. And then this it the just one. keeps but, but he needs somewhere. a beard.
0: He does need a beard. We need to get a beard on him. <laughs> uh, the, the final thing, of course, is uh, Matt Tracy wrote in Grip Media about the Digital Services Act. Um, He said the bill is simply the uh, transposition of yet another EU directive into Irish law, regulation EU, blah, 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 seeks to tackle what is described as misinformation. And he said not one TD was present to oppose the bill and it now goes to the Shannon. This is essentially the European hate speech bill, isn't it?
1: yeah f- effectively i mean there's more to it than that but it uh it's it's effectively going to impose this as a european level regulation on member states and then we'll have our own resident uh uh enforcers which in our case i believe it's the uh commission man, the media commission they're going to be the ones who actually implement this and and that particularly is quite disheartening i will say because The fact that it's at a European level means that even if we were to get rid of all the Irish censorship legislation, there's still this thing hanging over us uh, at an even higher level that we have very little control over. I mean, when you think about it, Ireland has less than 1% of the MEPs in the European Parliament. So even if the entire country was to suddenly become very opposed to censorship overnight and i think most people already are and they all elected free speech absolutist candidates for the europeans we would still have almost no say in what actually happens at the at the european wide level so i don't i don't really know how you fix that other than a mass kind of awakening at the across the entire mm. continent of europe of people screaming out for
0: more ironclad free speech guarantees ben listen thank you very much indeed when's the next big interview who is it
1: uh, you know, that's that, uh, first of all, uh, a magician never reveals his secrets. And uh, uh, a lot of it, uh, it's so secret. I don't even know myself a lot of the time. We find out about these things with uh, very little notice, typically. So that I've that's had those little...
0: situations where I, I'm told five minutes before an interview, oh, we've just managed to get so and so. And I'm going, what? And I'm <laughs> frantically Googling <laughs> like a crazy person. But I've had those situations. Yeah, I know. That's all, but that's what journalism is all about. Ben, well done. Uh, You did a fabulous job, and uh, you should be proud of yourself, and Grip Media should be proud of you, too. Uh, If you want to see the whole interview, by the way, you can go to gripmedia.ie if you want to head along uh, there to the website, and you can see the whole interview there. It's an intriguing interview uh, with Ben Scallum Ben, thank you very much indeed for joining us today, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Nile. Great to be here. The multi award winning Nile Boylan podcast.